Once upon a time in Mississauga, there lived a busy, important man. He worked 16 hours a day, weekends too, and in all of his spare time he earned additional degrees and he kept on improving himself and his skills. He read books on business and leadership by the dozens. In fact, he downloaded them onto his iPod and he listened to them on his way to work while he was drinking his triple caffeine, extra large espresso. He thought about work even when he wasn't at work. So even when he wasn't at work, his mind would drift toward work so that not only was it his occupation, it was his preoccupation. His wife tried to slow him down a little bit. His wife tried to remind him that he had a family and he knew that they weren't as close as they once were and he didn't really want to be drifting apart. But it just seemed that the thing she always wanted from him was time. And that was just something that he didn't have. He gave at the office. He was vaguely aware that his children were growing up and he was missing it. From time to time they would complain that he wasn't reading books to them, he wasn't playing catch with them, he wasn't eating dinners with them. But after a while, they stopped complaining because they knew it would never happen. But he figured to himself, I'll be more available to my family probably about six months from now when things finally settle down. And even though he was a smart guy, he didn't seem to notice that things never settle down. But he thought to himself, besides, I, I'm doing all this for them anyway. But that wasn't really true because he would have lived the exact same way if they never even existed. And he kept moving them from one house to the next, telling them he wanted a bigger house or a better life for them. But the truth was, the truth was, he was only trying to earn more money through his real estate investing. He wasn't taking very good care of his body. His doctor warned him about the elevated uh, blood pressure and, and the high levels of cholesterol, told him that he had to stop eating so many Tim Hortons donuts and Wendy's Baconators and start exercising. So he did stop going to the doctor. But he said, or he thought to himself, there will be plenty of time for exercise when things finally settle down. His wife begged him to go to church with her. Their family attended the church that met right there in their neighborhood. He said he would go. He intended to go. But Sunday morning was the only time that he could sleep in. And besides, he figured to himself, I can still be spiritual. I can still worship God without going to church. And besides, there will be plenty of time for that when things finally settle down. One day the VP came up to him at work and said, we have the opportunity of a lifetime here. Things are uh, expanding exponentially. This is blowing up. If we catch this wave, we are going to be set for life. This company is going to hit the big time. But in order to make that happen, 
We need to, you need to make some changes. We need to make some major changes to make sure that we can keep up our supply with the demand because the orders that are already coming in, are we're already not able to fill the orders that are coming in. So you need to make this happen for us. And we're going to hit it big time. So now the man worked around the clock and he expected all of his employees to do the same. And, and he, he overhauled the entire company system, the entire way that they uh, worked out their productivity. Uh, and he brought technology and he got everyone hooked up wirelessly 24-7 so that everyone was available all the time, around the clock. He even had computers installed in the company washrooms and expected them to use them while they're using the washroom. He made a new slogan that said, we live for this. And he had it posted everywhere. He was now available to everyone in the world, except the ones who needed him the most, and the ones he needed the most, his friends, his children, his wife, his God. Well, that night he came home and he told his wife, do you know what this means? We can finally relax now. Our, our future is secure. We're going, to be, we're going to be set for life. This is going to be it. We're finally going to be able to just relax and, and enjoy life once we hit this. And, and, and I've got all the bases covered. I have, I have figured out every contingency. I, I've come up with every possible thing that could happen. So it's all set up. So no matter what the market does, the economy does, we are going to be set for life. This means financial security. This means we're finally going to be able to go on that vacation that you've been pestering me about for years. But of course, she went to bed alone that night, as usual, while he stayed up working at his computer. There was one detail that had escaped him. Oh, nothing to do with the way the company was set up. That was all airtight, ready to go, ready to catch the wave. All those I's were dotted and T's were crossed. But the one tiny detail that he couldn't have seen, the one thing that he overlooked was the condition of his arteries. You see, as he had been working his life away, the stress and the, the unhealthy habits ruined them. And that night, as he sat there working at his computer, his heart began to rebel. Well, at 3 a.m., his wife woke up, and he still wasn't there in bed beside her. And she thought, what a child. So she went downstairs to bring him back up into bed and saw him crash there at his computer. But when she went up there and put her hand on his shoulder to wake him up, it was cold. He'd been dead for hours of a massive heart attack. At the funeral, since he was such a... a important and wealthy man, many people showed up. And as they got to eulogize him, they talked about his, his accomplishments. They talked about his success. They, they, they talked about the innovations he had made in technology and industry. And they spoke about what a devoted husband and father he was. And, and these were the words that were inscribed on his very... Um, luxurious memorial stone, visionary, innovator, leader, 
entrepreneur, and above them all, his favorite one, success. So they had the funeral, they buried him, they went home. Later that night, when it was dark, when no one was there to see, an angel of God was sent to that cemetery. And right on that man's fancy tombstone, right on top of all those other words inscribed there, that angel wrote the single word that God chose to summarize that busy, wealthy man's life. Fool. Fool. God said, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? No doubt you've recognized this story as just a different version of the story Jesus told 2,000 years ago about a rich fool. He was a fool because he made his earthly life be more important than the one who gave him his earthly life. It wasn't that he deliberately planned to ignore his wife and children. It wasn't that he set his goals of becoming greedy and selfish and worldly. Those weren't his life goals. It wasn't that he purposefully planned to defy God and leave him out of his life. He just had too much to do. He was too busy. Isn't that, whether we're rich or not, isn't that something that we all struggle with? Our calendars are too filled up. Our lives are too jam-packed with activities. And, and don't we get up each day thinking that, well, if we can just cross some of those things off of our list, get some of those things done, we'll be able to get to do the things that really actually do matter? A survey asked thousands of people what was keeping them or what kept them from loving God and getting to know him better. And the number one answer? I'm too busy. And isn't it a little bit ironic that the early followers of Jesus could not be stopped by poverty, uh, persecution, prison, martyrdom? However, we are being held back by something as trivial as having too much to do. It's a matter of priority. What is our priority? God's word makes it very clear what our priority is. What is I could ask all those kids up here, what is the first commandment? Worship the Lord your God. What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So worship is loving God. Worship is putting God first in your lives. Um, the, the term comes from the idea of worship is bowing down in front of someone to let them know that you feel they are more important in your life. Worship is, is bowing down in front of God in such a way that lets him know he is the priority in your life. Worship is loving God, and it is our number one priority. How are we doing as a congregation of believers? 
How are we showing that God is the number one priority in our lives by gathering together here to worship Him? Well, here come some stats. Over the last half a year or so, 40% of our members are showing up for worship three times a month or more. That means 60% of us are not. What is it? What is it that is keeping us or making us so busy? What is it that we are so busy doing? What is it that we are putting ahead of worship? What is it that is keeping us from being here and worshiping God? When do we think that things are finally going to settle down so we will be able to get back to lives of loving God, worshiping God? What is it that is keeping us away? Is God going to be calling us fools? I want to... Um, there are three things that I want to talk about today regarding loving God. And first of all, worshiping God is our priority. We've already been hinting at that. Worshiping God is our priority. It was, it was so clear in Jesus' parable that, that this man was a fool because, because he thought other things were a priority. He thought other things were a priority, things that don't last. But our number one priority, however, is loving God. Worship. That's why we're created. To worship Him, to honor Him, to love Him. Being rich toward God. That's our priority. You saw that at the end of the parable. Being rich toward God. Not being rich toward ourselves. And being rich toward God begins with giving Him the thing that He wants the most from us. And that is ourselves. He wants your heart your praise, your love, your worship. And yes, there are many ways that we can worship God, but the thing that He wants most from us, the thing that He wants most from you, is you. Think about, it's always been that way from the beginning of the Bible. God created us so that He could be with us. Go back to the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, God walked with the man and the woman. He loved being with them. When they fell into sin, they had to be separated from him. That broke his heart. He wanted to be with them. We read how God walked with Enoch, how he walked with Noah and many others. We hear how God was with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. We, we, we hear how he formed a whole nation of people who he could dwell with and live with and be their God. And then finally, in order to make everything right again, in order to fix everything up again, God decided to come down here himself to take on human flesh and become one of us and live with us and dwell among us. And Jesus went dwelling with people and living with people and he called people to follow him as his disciples to be with him. Friends, God made you and saved you because he wanted you to be with him. 
He wants you to be with him each day. God wants to spend that day with you. And we say, I'm too busy. Why? Because we are focused on the richness of having instead of the richness of being. We think that happiness comes with having. If only I could have that dream house. If only I could have a higher salary, a better car, enough money to to go on that dream vacation. If only I could have uh, financial security or nicer toys or bigger barns. And we start focus on all these things that we want to have and we think that is what life is about. But if our life is about storing up things for ourselves, we're fools. Life is about being rich toward God. And being rich toward God begins with giving him ourselves, but it's not only about giving him ourselves, it's also about being generous with the things he's blessed us with, with our time and our possessions. Instead of holding on to 100% of everything God gives me, it means being generous. It means giving back some of that to him by giving it straight to him or giving it uh, to him through others. It means giving that back. Okay, when God has blessed you all so wonderfully, how do you think he feels when you say, oh my goodness, I need bigger barns. What God wants to hear you say is, God is goodness. How can I give some of this back to him? How are we doing at that? You were here last week at the congregational meeting. The offerings we collect here would not suggest we're doing so well at that. Loving God, which is what worship is, loving God means that we want to make, it means, first of all, considering how God has blessed us. Loving God, it, it, it starts with considering how he has blessed us, and that's why we, we share that in a worship service, because we need to be reminded how he has blessed us. So loving God means considering how God has blessed us, and then honoring him. Honoring him first by blessing him back. All right, so consider. Consider how much God has blessed you. That, that's something that I, I can't do for you and I can't do as a group. This is something that you need to work through. You need to consider how God has blessed you and then you honor him. You honor him by being generous back with him. That is part of our lives as worship. Not just showing up for worship services, but making it count and giving back part of what he has given you. That honors him. So each one of us needs, I think, take some time to reflect. What am I giving back to God? Here's what God has given me. Here's what I'm giving back. And if you're not honoring him, you need to repent. You need to repent. We all do if we're not honoring him. When I repent, I admit to God that I have been failing him, that I have not been honoring him. And then I look to his word and hear about how he loved me anyway through Jesus. And when I hear that forgiveness, 
that forgiveness is going to lead me to do something. When you hear that forgiveness, when you hear about what a gracious God you have, let that lead you to start honoring him. That's how we show that's how we show that the sacrifice he made for us matters. So let's honor him. That's all part of making God our priority. Our time is given to him. Our possessions are given to him. Our worship is given to him. Our lives, ourselves, belong to him. Secondly, worshiping God is something we do together. You can make all the excuses you want about being spiritual, about worshiping God in your own private way, about worshiping God at home, and all of those things are good. But there is something that can only happen when we gather together to worship him here. Um, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We all need accountability. Because we are human, because we have that sin nature in us, we're going to get lazy. We're going we're gonna to drift away. We're going to forget what our priority is. And we, that means we need to be kicked in the side. Kicked in the side of the, of the gut so it hurts. That's what spurring on is. Don't just go, you know what? You've seen the spurs that cowboys wear, right? And spurring on a horse, they jam those things in the side of a horse. It doesn't feel good. We need to be spurred on when we start drifting away. And the only way that can happen is when we surround ourselves with people who, like us, are sinful, but who also believe in a Savior from sin and who actually love us enough to remind us, to painfully remind us what it means to follow that Savior. We also need the encouragement of Christian brothers and sisters to then lift us up and build us up when we're feeling down when we need to be reminded of forgiveness from that Savior who gives us that forgiveness. And that just does not happen like it happens when a group of people who love Jesus gather together to worship Him. Can we do that for each other? Can we do that for each other? All right, good. Thirdly, and you've been, yes, we've been, you know, talking about this one. Um, Church is not a hobby. Okay, a hobby is something you do to pass the time. Thus, a pastime, right? A hobby is something that you enjoy doing. Uh, It's usually, I hope, pleasant uh, and usually constructive. A hobby is something you do as a diversion from your real life. But not when you're busy. right? Sometimes you get at your hobby. Sometimes you may ignore it for long periods of time because you've got other things going, and that's just fine. Because it's not really that important. It's a hobby. It's it's fine because it's not as important as the things that actually matter in life. But haven't we at times approached church that way? Have, Have we at times had that attitude toward worship, toward loving God? You know, an enjoyable pastime, um, a nice place to go to to be with some nice people. Something we'll, you know, we'll do from time to time um, when we have time for it. Church isn't a hobby. It's priority. It's life. It, the scripture makes it so clear that it is our number one 
priority. Throughout his word, God makes it very clear that it's our number one priority, giving him our first and our best. So I cannot be a healthy Christian. I cannot be a healthy follower of God if I'm not worshiping him. And that, that's why I want to challenge you today. I, you see the, the logo, and we're just putting the one leaf on. You know there's three. Those are coming in the next two weeks. But the one I want you to focus on today is the first one, worship. And every time you see that logo, Cross the Light, I want you to think about what those leaves mean. We have given them meanings. And that first one is worship. That is, I, that is part of my life as a follower of Christ. It is, it, it is a part of my life. And so I want to challenge you because God challenges us because this is what God wants. This is, this is how we thank God for what he's done for us. I want you to challenge to make worshiping him the number one priority in your life. Not once a month. Not three times a month. Not once a week. Every day. And if worship is a priority in our lives every day, there really is no excuse to not be here at least once a week, right? Every day, worship is our number one priority. Why? I don't know if I've given you the why yet. Psalm 149 says, Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with tambourine and harp. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with salvation. Let the saints rejoice in this honor and sing for joy on their beds. Friends, why worship God? T to mark off your checklist of things you need to do to be a good Christian? To, to get in better with him? No. Why then? Why? Because he takes delight in you. Because he gives you salvation. Because he gives you joy. The reason that worshiping him is part of our lives is, is the most important thing. Our lives are about loving God because he wanted to be with us so much that he gave up everything so that we could be with him. God's attitude was not, hmm, I have all this stuff. I have all this time, eternity. I think I'm going to build bigger heavens to store it all up. His attitude was, I have all this stuff. I have all this time, eternity. I have all this perfection and happiness. I think I'm going to give it all away so that I can be with these people that I delight in. You are rich. You have been blessed. You've been forgiven for all your selfishness and greed. You've been given perfection. You've been given joy, time, talents, treasures. What are you going to do with them? Why not begin your life by loving God, worshiping Him? Amen. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.